We have been the last two weeks, and today we end up our series looking at our identity series, going through our mission statement, and not preaching our mission statement, but just preaching the scriptures, because that's where we got our mission statement from, as Pastor Jimmy pointed out the first weekend. We're not creating anything new. We're trying to be creatively unoriginal, and we're just simply stating what convictionally we believe the church is to be about. We're to love God, we're to love other people, and we're to live in obedience to Christ, which is distinct from the world. But as we think of this idea of of living distinctively among the world, there's a sense in which I could just stand up and say, we live distinctively in the world by doing what you've heard the last two weeks. We live distinctively in the world by loving God supremely and loving others sacrificially. And I could say that and, and sit down, but we're not. And so we're going to look at what, what does that mean? What does that look like? And as we, we deal with this idea of the Christian being in the world and interacting in the world and, and living among the world, there seems to be a lot of different approaches that, 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 that the church, quote-unquote, seems to take into that. Really, there seems to be two extremes as I was thinking through this. I know there's some other variations we could go into, but there seems to be kind of two extreme options we could take in this. The one that seems to be um, popular and has been for years is let's, as Christians, see just how much like the world we can be, show the world just how much like them we are so they don't think we're weird and creepy and, and all that kind of stuff. And so let's, let's try to... In, encapsulate ourselves into the world and and put ourselves into the world and anything the world has let's put a little christian twist on it and let's let's try to show them just how much like them we are and let's be as much like the world as we can be so that way the world will like to be around us one extreme the other extreme is the benedict option where we seclude ourselves in monasticism and we don't want anything to do with the world and so we seclude ourselves from the world, have nothing to do with the world and we sit over here isolated from everything in the world so that we have no interaction with the world, the world has no interaction with us and the, the, the mindset would be so that way we're not stained from the world. The problem with both of those options is the Bible. The problem with both of those options is Scripture doesn't give us the option to see just how much like the world we can be and doesn't give us the option to see just how secluded from the world we can be. We've been called to be in the world and live distinctively from it. And Jesus says that in his prayer in John 17. He's praying to the Father on behalf of of not just his disciples. He says, I'm not praying just for them, but for those who would come after them. So in a sense, he's praying for us. Not in a sense. In reality, he's praying for us. And he says this, I do not, not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus, in praying for us, didn't pray for the Benedict option for us, that we would be taken out of the world, but he also prayed that we would not be of the world, that we are not of the world, that he would keep us from the evil one. In Romans 12, 1 and 3, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Philippians 2, 14 and 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, 
children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In both of those texts, Romans 12 and Philippians, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, rather, is showing this reality that, that we are to live distinctively among the world. We're in the midst of a crooked generation, and we're not to live like them, but we're not to live separated from them in the sense that we are out of the world. We are to be lights shining in the world, living distinctively among them. But again, what does that mean? To live distinctively among the world. Again, in one sense, we could say it's simply to do what we've seen the last two weeks, to love God supremely and to love others sacrificially. But even as we press into that more, what does that mean? And, and again, we're going to look at Colossians 2, 6 through the end of the letter and looking at ultimately what is the source of and motivation in and the ultimate thing that makes us distinct and then look at implications and outflow of that that then manifests itself as a distinction in our lives. So let's start here in verse 6 and 7. We are distinct, we live distinctively in the world and we are distinct from the world in that we are joined to Christ and we walk and we live in Him. Look at what Paul says here in verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, there's a sense in which I think there's debate in this. Of Is he talking about receiving and how they came to Christ or the truth that they received? I think the answer is ultimately kind of yes there. As you receive the Lord in faith and repentance, as you receive the truth of the Lord, of who He is, that He is Lord, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Savior, that He is the only hope in life and death that we have. He is God in the flesh. He is the Lord to whom we are to follow. Paul is pointing them back to this reality of their being joined together with Christ in faith and repentance and who they received Him as. And now he's saying, now so walk in Him. Again, he's pointing them back to these truths that he's already said in first ch of chapter 1, verse 13. That God has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We're in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul is saying, as you received Christ Jesus, as you were transferred from the, the, the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, as you were forgiven the record of debt that stood against you, as you were dead in your sin, and now you are made alive together in Christ, as you are received this truth of Christ Jesus, and by faith and repentance have received that, now walk in Him. Out of darkness into light, we're to be a city on a hill that lets our light shine before men that they would see our good works in heaven. And in that, we can contrast that and show a distinctiveness from the world. If you go to Ephesians 2, 
you would see in verses 1 through 3 the reality that, that those who are of the world are dead in their trespasses and sins. Following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air that is now at work in the sons of disobedience in whom we all once lived. We're distinct, we live distinctively from the world because we are distinct from the world in that they are still in the domain of darkness and we have been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. What ultimately makes us distinct from the world is not what we often think of. Even in beginning to think through this, it was what makes us distinct. And we go through these things and we often think, well, what makes you distinct from the world? Well, don't drink, don't chew, and don't hang out with girls that do, right? And so we, we, we go through this. If you're old enough, you know that saying. Some of you younger people are looking at me like I have three heads. Maybe it's because I grew up in Spivey's Corner. I don't know. But we often think what makes us distinct from the world is why well, I, do, I don't do the things they do and I do the things they don't do. And we, we limit our distinctiveness in the world solely to a moral lifestyle issue. Hear me, we're going to get there. Yes, that is part of it. But that is not the ultimate thing that makes us distinct from the world. The ultimate thing that makes us distinct and therefore leads to us living distinctively among the world is the reality that we have been joined to Christ in faith and repentance. Is the reality that we were dead in our sin and God has given us life. Is the reality that our citizenship is no longer this world, but we've been transferred into the kingdom of His beloved Son. To begin with morality, to begin with us and how we think different and live different and act different, to begin there is what makes us distinct from the world. It's ultimately going to breed in us pride and ultimately going to lead to us trying to create people who just simply live like we do rather than make disciples of people who have been joined to Christ and are now following Him. We are distinct in the world because God has made us alive and joined us to Christ. And if our then living distinctively does not flow from that, then we're missing it. And if this is not true of you, if you've not been joined to Christ, hear me, you're not distinct from the world regardless of how different you live from them. We can, we can not do things that, that the world quote-unquote does and do things they don't do and still be dead in trespasses and sin, still be under the domain of darkness and still be separated from God, which is the source of our life and which is ultimately what makes us distinct. We are distinct from the world because we are in Christ. And, and I want to emphasize that and press that at the beginning because if all we hear is the, the how we're distinct in our living and our thinking, we can walk out of this place thinking somehow that we're distinct because of us. And that we need to make them distinct like us by getting them just to live like we do. We are distinct because God has made us His. And our desire and our hope in living distinctively, in letting our light shine among those 
is that they would see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, that they would then be joined to Christ. Not that they would simply live like us. But that they would be joined to Christ like us and then out of that flow a living that is distinct. So we're distinct and therefore we live distinctively because we are in Christ Jesus. And Paul then says, as you received him, now so walk in him or so live in him. So this living distinctively that Paul's then going to lay out for the rest of the letter flows from the reality that we have received Christ Jesus, we are in Him, now walk in Him. Or to, to keep with our, our mission statement, now go live distinctively among the world. So what does that look like? Paul fleshes out a couple of ways here of what it is to now walk in Him whom we have received, being rooted and built up in Him. The first thing Paul looks at is we're distinct in our thinking. If you go verses 8 um, through 15 of chapter 2, Paul lays out here, and again, specifically in here, he's speaking of their religious practices and their views of God, but it would flow out into just our thinking in general. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or human wisdom, it could be translated, and empty deceit, or foolishness, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Because we are in Christ Jesus, we live distinctively in the world, in our thinking, in that our thinking is not shaped by, going after, molded by worldly wisdom and foolish, empty deceit. Rather, it is shaped by and anchored in Christ and His Word. We're distinct in our thinking about God and about worship and about humanity and about what it is to walk in wisdom and goodness and holiness. Not by human tradition. Not by the, something that's according to the elemental spirits of this world. But our mind is set. And our thinking is set and shaped by Christ. And in His Word even in this week in dealing with some issues that just had to face with in life and conversations with people and thinking about conversations other people have had with people. Just inundated with how much worldly philosophy and worldly wisdom has taken over the mindsets of even those who profess Christ. We follow after the mantras of the world and we we face these fears and anxieties and these doubts and these worries and these concerns and these burdens and we look at the challenges of life in the language that we use and the thoughts that we have and how we manipulate through those things is just worldly wisdom that's, that's crept its way in and speaks nothing of Christ, speaks nothing of His truth. But we who are in Christ Jesus, we who are in the church, are to live distinctively in that our, our thinking is not to be swayed and shaped by every wind of doctrine and every new fad that comes out and every worldly philosophy that we hear. But our thinking is to be shaped and grounded and rooted in Christ and in who He is and in the truthfulness of His Word. Because I've been joined with Him, because I am His, I therefore want to have 
the thoughts of Christ and the mind of Christ and my thinking and my relating to things shaped by who Christ is and what he has said. So our, we live distinctively in the world and that we think distinctively because we have been joined with Christ. Then Paul goes in, in verse 16, we live distinctively in the world out of our union with Christ in our worship. Again, in, verse, in, in this section, Paul's dealing specifically and pointed with some Gnosticism and some other things that have crept into the church there at Colossae. But if you look at 16 through 19, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up with reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive do you submit to regulations? And he goes on, These indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Paul's here warning them against ultimately adding to Christ. But he's warning them here of, of allowing their worship and their relationship to God and their, their view of their worship and living out their lives to be shaped and structured by and molded around this worldly mentality of focusing solely on these, these earthly um, traditions and mantras and celebrations and not eating this and eating that and not doing this and doing that. But rather he's saying their worship is to be rooted and grounded in Christ. We do not worship the things of the world or according to the world. With a man-made religion and regulations. Or he even points out here with cessationalism or visions and angels. But we worship holding fast to Christ who is our head. We live distinctively in the world and that our relating to God and our worship of God because the world worships every single one of them, regardless of what they say their beliefs about God are. They worship something. And whether or not they call it that, they are worshiping what they recognize as God. Most of the time it's just them. But Paul's saying our worship is to be distinct in that it's rooted in Christ, not chasing after the latest fad or emotional feeling or or whatever it may be, but we are grounded in who Christ is and what He has done and what He has commanded us in His Word. We who are in Christ are to live distinctively from the world and that our worship is to be ultimately rooted, grounded, clinging to and based upon Christ, ultimately the triune God and who He is and what He has done for us and what He has said and commanded in His Word. Not to be led away by emotionalism and feelings and, and man-made regulations to try to make us think that that somehow earns something in us, but rather we know we have died to these things and we are alive in Christ. Our worship, therefore, is to be distinctly different. Again, 
we can press into that with how we have seen that in the church, of the church trying to see just how much they can be like the world and make the world like us when we worship. They don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we should stand up here and see how miserable we can make it for people who come in. And I'm not saying if the world may remotely think it's okay, then we don't need to do it. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, is our worship is not to be shaped around the world and what the world thinks we should do in worship and what the world thinks we should handle in worship and what the world says in worldly wisdom and mindsets and philosophy would say we should have in it, but rather it should be rooted in and focused on who Christ is and what we is, He has done and who we are in Him and how He's commanded us to do it. We're to live distinctively in these things. Then in chapter 3, Paul goes into the reality that we're to live distinctively in our morality. Because of our union with Christ, we are to live differently than the world. Now again, I said earlier that, that oftentimes we, we immediately go there, and I, I hope I didn't come across as if our morality, what us not doing things the world does and doing things they don't do, it has no part in us living distinctively. It absolutely does. If we are joined with Christ, we will live differently than the world in how we act because our thinking is different and our worship is different. And we've been made alive together with Christ, therefore by necessity our living is going to be different. In chapter 3, if, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things that are above, not that are on the earth. For you have died with Christ, and your life was hidden with Him. And then you get into verse 5. And in verses 5 through 11, Paul is commanding them, out of who they are in Christ, now put these things away. Put, put them to death is literally what he says. We go back to verse, or chapter 8 in Romans, verse 13, that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Paul here is saying, put to death, therefore, what is earthly or worldly in you. Sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Paul is saying, because of who we are in Christ, again, go back to verse 1, since you have been buried with him. He's going, he's flowing out of this whole, not mantra, this whole... Um, basis he's been building off of really since chapter 1 but especially since we get into to chapter 2 verse 6 where we started that we have received Christ we're to walk in him and if we've been raised with Christ we're to live differently if I've been buried with him if I was crucified with him as Paul alluded to in chapter 2 in speaking of baptism and I've been raised with him. I'm now raised to walk into a newness of life. Therefore, Paul says, because we are in Christ, we're to live distinctively among the world in that we're to put to death and seek to put away from us the very things the world says we should hold on to. You read through that list and you look at our culture. and I, I want to be careful because I think oftentimes we can look as if what we see taking place in our culture is new when if you read through the Old Testament, you realize it's not. 
it's maybe, it may be new in the way it's manifesting itself to us, but as we look at our culture around us and, and how they're calling good evil and evil good, you read through this list of what Paul's telling us to put to death, and they would look at that and say, embrace it. Live in it. And make everybody else tell you it's okay. And yet Paul tells us, God tells us, by, by inspiring Paul and the Holy Spirit, to put these things to death. We are to live distinctively in the world because we have been joined with Christ by putting to death the things in us that are not of Christ. By the Spirit, yes, but we're to put them to death. We are not to walk in them. And again, I see it in my own life and I see it in churches and the way we often conversate about things as if Somehow we can, we can profess Christ and yet live in the world and live in these sins, but we've claimed Christ, we've got our baptism ticket punched, we're not going to hell, so we'll just go on and, and no need for holiness, no need for sanctification. We can live like the world, but we've, we've got our Christ card and so we're okay. The Scriptures know nothing of that. If we are in Christ, we're to wake up every day with a resolve by the Spirit to put to death what is earthly in us. And hear me, I say every day because I don't, have to, I don't even have to say that unless you're like me. I know you are because the Bible tells me you are. Every day we wake up at war. Every day we wake up at war with the flesh. And every day we are to wake up with a resolve. I am in Christ. I am not of this world. I'm therefore to live distinctively. Today, by the Spirit's help, I will put to death what is earthly in me. I will put to death sexual immorality and impurity. I will put to death covetousness, which is idolatry. I will put to death anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. I will take away these things, that all the things in the world around me that I'm living in the midst of. And I will put them away. I will... I will live distinctively in not doing what the world is calling me and proclaiming for me to do because I am in Christ. And then I will put on, verse 12, the Bible doesn't just rebuke, it corrects, it shows us what is good. Put on then as God's holy ones, His chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, loving one another. And being at peace with one another. We're to live distinctively in the world and not only what we don't do, but what we do. Because we have been joined with Christ. We're to, we're to live as Christ commanded us. And because we have received Him as Lord, we're to live as Christ has commanded us to live. Putting to death what is, what is worldly and earthly in us. And putting on what we're going to be learning of in the next however many weeks, I forget how long the study is as we look at the fruit of the Spirit, that we're to live distinctively in the world in the way we live. Because again, Paul's truth or pointing there is, again, not just go live different. It's go live different by, because you're in Christ. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ draw, richly, draw in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're to live distinctively, and we do so by reminding ourselves of who we are as Christ, in Christ, 
and dwelling in his word. I've been doing a study with the youth on Wednesday nights and uh, we've been kind of going through some systematic theology things and most recently we've been looking at the doctrine of Scripture. And last week we looked at the usefulness of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's profitable for um, reproof and correction, training unto righteousness. And in, the end, the, in verse 17, that every man, that the man of God may be complete or perfect, mature and equipped for every good work. And the statement I made to them is, you will not coast into holiness. We will not coast into living distinctively in our thinking or our worship, and especially in our living. You won't just coast into that. But the Spirit works that in us through His Word by letting the Word of Christ dwell richly in us. So we live distinctively in our thinking, we live distinctively in our worship, we live distinctively in our morality, and then we live distinctively in our relationships. In verses 18 of chapter 3 through, really, verse 6 of chapter 4, Paul's giving them instruction of what it is to walk in Christ as they received Him in terms of how they relate to one another and to the world. The Christian is, the church is to live distinctively among the world in how we relate to people. Paul kind of breaks it down into the subsections of society, beginning first in the family. We're to live distinctively in the world in the way as believers that we relate to one another and the whys of how we relate to them, again, because we've been joined to Christ. We're to live distinctively in wives submitting to their husbands as is fitting to the Lord. We're to live distinctively as husbands by loving our wives and not being harsh with them. Children are to live distinctively by obeying and honoring and submitting to their parents. And fathers, I know we can make this general, but Paul specifically says it here to the fathers. Fathers, we live distinctively with our children because we're not constantly poking and prodding them and trying to just See if we can stir them up. Lest they become discouraged, but we are to be fathers who are to raise our children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. We're to be husbands and fathers who are gentle with our wives and our children and caring and understanding. Who seek to be shepherds to our family as Jesus is shepherds to His church who are gentle. Yes, correcting when need correcting. But nourishing and caring for with tenderness and compassion. We're to be distinct from that men. We're to be distinct from that, ladies. We're to be distinct from that, boys and girls. And the way that we live, because we've been joined to Christ, therefore the way we relate to one another in the family should not look like the world. And again, you read what's going on here and you hear the mantras of the world. What we're being told and how we're being told to act as a family, one, if there's even supposed to be a family according to the worldly teachings anymore. But if you look at how the world is teaching, we're to relate to one another as a family and this individuality and the I will be me and you can't stop me from being me mindset that has permeated the family. We who are Christians are to be different. We're to live distinctively and that we relate to one another. Loving them sacrificially in our household. Walking in the commands with Christ with how we relate to one another. And when we have people into our house, they should notice a distinction. And how we relate to one another. 
Now we care for one another and forgive one another and submit to one another and lead one another. We're to be distinct in our relationships and our family. We're to be distinct in our relationships and our work. Now again, Paul here is using bondservants and masters. Now I'm not trying to make that say less than it is. Slaves and masters, that's what he's getting at. This, this bondservant, this idea of an indentured servant type deal. So while we are not in that type of working relationship, all of us here, more than likely, most of us, maybe not all of us, as I'm looking around, those of us who are in the workforce have one of two roles. We're either over people or we're under people. We're either the, the one working for someone or we have people working for us. And Paul's saying in that we're to be distinct in how we live and that those who are working for someone else, obey them in everything. Not just to get people to say how good of a worker you are, but with sincerity of heart, doing your work unto the Lord. We're to be distinct in our work and that I, wait, I get up every day and I'm to go install cabinets and build cabinets and do woodworking as if I am installing it in the house of Christ. Working with a joy, knowing I'm working for Him. And whatever it is that God's placed before you, we're to live distinctively and that we're to get up and we're to work it, not simply to try to win favor and to get everybody to like us or not to be grumbling and complaining in what we're doing, but we're to work distinctively in that. I'm to do my work as if I'm working for the Lord because I am. Who in His sovereignty gave you that job and gave you this thing to do? God did, and he's called you and commanded you and commissioned you to go and do it. So do it as unto him. We're to work differently. But we're also to be bosses differently. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Why? Because we have a master in heaven. Because I've been joined with Christ and I know he is my Lord and how he um, will one day, I will give an account to him. I'm a, I'm a boss different. I'm an employee different. I'm a husband different. I'm a child different. I'm a, I'm a wife. Well, I'm not a wife, but... Wives are wives different. We relate to each other distinctly as a church. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. Again, we, we could point to other places if the, if the purpose of this was to show how we're to live distinctly in, in relationships within the church, but to keep it here between verse 2 and verse 4, we pray for one another. We pray for one another that we would be bold and we encourage one another to be bold in sharing the gospel. We pray for and encourage one another to endure to the end as Paul is speaking of his being in prison to endure hardship and suffering for the gospel together. And we're to live distinctively in how we relate to the world. Paul says in verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We're to live distinctively from the world, but we're also to live distinctively in how we relate to the world. In that, Paul's saying, make the, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Walk in the wisdom of Christ. Making the most use of the time. We're not viewing people simply as tasks to be checked off or projects to be completed. But rather, we make the most of our time with them. We live distinctively in how we relate to people in that we don't see them as simply obstacles in the way, things to be avoided or things ones to be used to accomplish our end, but we see them as image bearers of God 
who are either in Christ and we're to encourage in Christ or they're not in Christ and we're to call them to repent and believe. And we seek to make the most of our time in what we do and in how we relate to the world. And we're to be distinct in how we relate to them and how we speak. Let your speech be gracious. Always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And Jimmy was even speaking earlier, Pastor Jimmy was, about our, our series coming up on our culture series. And one of the things we want to, to help us think through and help you think through as we deal with these cultural issues is not just how to know what's right and what's wrong and how to defend that, but how to, how to be compassionate as we seek to do it. How to be gracious and how to let our speech be seasoned with salt among them, not just growing in, um, beating everybody over the head as a club with the truth, but to be gracious and gentle with it. Yes, speaking it boldly. But we're to live distinctively in the world and how we speak to one another and how we speak to the world. But I want to go back to end where we began. All of these things we just looked at. Our distinctiveness in our thinking, our distinctiveness in our worship, and our distinctiveness in our morality and our relationships should be distinct, not because we're trying really hard, white-knuckling, grin and bear it, to be a good person. What should, what should cause us to live distinctively in the world is because what ultimately makes us distinct in the world is we are in Christ. As we live among a people who according to Ephesians 2 are dead in their trespasses and sins following after Satan as we once were. And we look at the world around us and we see maybe that we are living distinctively among them. Let's remember. The goal is not get them to stop doing this thing and start doing that thing. Ultimately, the goal is not to make people who live and act like you do or I do. Our drive and our purpose in dealing with the lost world and in living distinctively among the lost world is to bring glory to God who has transferred us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son that they would see His goodness and His mercy and His grace and that we would call them and proclaim to them to look to Christ and be saved. What ultimately makes us distinct is who we belong to. What ultimately makes us distinct is whose we are. And in that, our living is distinct among them. So dear saint, I hope you've been encouraged today. I hope in this there's been um, as there has been for me, even in reading this and preaching it to you at the moment I was reading it, I was convicted in, of areas in my life where I'm not living distinctively in the ways that Paul has called us to. And I can look at some of these things that I'm to put to death and to take off every day. Um, and sometimes I wake up and I put them on. But dear saint, I hope you have been encouraged today, one, to be reminded of, who you are in Christ. And I hope in that you've been encouraged and strengthened with a resolve to now live out who you are in Christ as you received Him, walk in Him. And if you're here today and you're not in Christ, 
I, I really hope you've not heard me give you a list of things to do and that you've written them down and you're going to go out of here and your, your mission and goal is to simply be distinct and I'm going to start thinking differently and I'm going to start living differently. If you're not in Christ, that is all in vain. And you are not distinct from the world. But rather like the world. According to Scripture, you are enemies with God and storing up wrath for yourself. Dear friend, today understand your greatest need is not to leave out of here with a new resolve to stop doing something and to start doing something. Your greatest need is to be changed and be given a new heart and to go from death to life and to be reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. I implore you on behalf of God, be reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. Look to Him. Rest upon Him. Plead with Him to save you and to change you. Would you pray with me as we end? Father in heaven, I thank you that in your great mercy, you have taken dead people and made them alive. You have taken rebels and enemies and made them children. You have given those hearts of stone and you have now given them hearts of flesh. Father, I thank you for your work in us who are yours in Christ. That you have done this work in us. You have transferred us. You have made us alive. You have seated us with Christ Jesus. Father, I, I pray um, for forgiveness for ways in which I have sought to live distinctively from the world separated from that truth in my own strength or yet have not even sought to live distinctively at all in some areas. Father, I pray that you would today in your grace strengthen us and remind us of who we are in Christ Jesus and remind us that any change in our behavior and in our thinking that, that comes to us comes from that reality. That we are now yours in Christ. Father, I pray you would Father, bring conviction to us in areas of our lives where we have sought or rather not sought to put to death that which is earthly in us. We've not sought to live distinctively. We've allowed um, thinking of worldly philosophy and wisdom to creep into our minds. We've allowed um, man-centeredness to creep into our worship. We've allowed worldliness to creep into our, our morality and in our relationships. Father, help us not to excuse those things or to play them off as small. Father, in your grace, by your Spirit, may we put them to death. Father, may you give us grace to live distinctively among the world that they would see our good works and glorify you who is in heaven.
And that in that they would see their great need of Christ. And it's in Christ we pray these things. Amen.